in the 2016 elections, great way to start off a sermon, by the way, not really. Um, but in the 2016 elections, uh, there was this uh, term that started to surface, especially toward the end of the elections, fake news. You know what, I, you've heard that term now, fake news. Um, this term fake news is, uh, fake news or the accusation of fake news or whatever is, is not a new thing. But that term kind of came out and got, you know, popularity around it, got a head of steam around it. And there's a lot of memes out there about a lot of jokes about fake news and all of that. But accusations of news reports that aren't grounded in reality. In politics, this is not a new thing. As a matter of fact, uh, our understanding through history is that Octavian completely undid Mark Anthony by spreading a rumor about, uh, about him. And that that like changed the entire Roman Empire because of fake news. So fake news or the accusation of fake news, which is another form of fake news, is uh, is an old trick in politics, right? There was uh, Andrew Jackson. There's this story about Andrew Jackson and how uh, some of his people made an accusation against John Quincy Adams, you know, and some impropriety and all that, which changed the election and those things are not new. We know that when it comes to politics, uh, propaganda, manipulation, and accusation, and all of those things are tools that are used in order to create a storyline that changes the perception that people have. Well, it shouldn't surprise us that that isn't a new thing. It shouldn't surprise us that, uh, that that's a tool in politics because we know that all the way back, all the way back, there was someone who was pitching fake news, propaganda, right? And he sat at a tree next to a woman, and he told a storyline. And he didn't completely change the story. He just changed the angle of the story. Like, look at it from this side. Maybe if you look at it from this angle, all the pieces add up differently. And we know that the deceiver, that his primary objective is to paint a picture that's just a shade off. The color changes, the angle changes, and what happens is, is it changes the focus of our eyes and especially the focus of our hearts and our minds so that we see things from a different angle. And ultimately, the goal of, of the one who is coming against our relationship with God is to change our focus. And instead of our focus being on the Lord— the focus turns to ourself, to our circumstances, and it turns away from the Lord. What's happening right now in this letter in, uh, that, that Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, uh, building on last week, and if you weren't here last week, in order to understand the book of Galatians, I really want to urge you to go back and listen to last week's message because it gives a lot of background and perspective to understand this letter. But what's going on at this point is that Paul is crying out Fake news. This is, you are hearing fake news. There is a storyline that's being pitched to you right now that is changing your perspective. It's changing how you feel. It's changing how you think. And it's changing what you look at. And Paul is furious. We talked about this last week. That he is just angry. Angry. And this is where Paul is willing to go to bat and do almost anything to go to bat to protect the storyline. And the storyline is, is that there is news. 
And the news is extremely good news. As a matter of fact, he's talking about this word gospel. And you know what gospel means. What's it mean? Good news. And so he's saying there's good news, which you've been told, and then there's fake news, which you're now listening to. And that fake news is changing your perception. It's changing everything that's happening. Now, now what's happening is, is there's these, these uh, people who have been traveling around the churches in Galatia. And as I told you last week, that's a huge region. Um, it's like all the churches around this region and these traveling teachers have gone around and they've started spreading some teaching that, uh, that's false. Now, the, the problem here, Paul isn't concerned about whether he's right or whether these other people are right. Paul's not interested in being right. Paul's interested in people being connected to God. And what he realizes is, and, and the, this is the, the number one foolproof way that you can tell that something is false doctrine, if it doesn't lead people to having a close, thriving, intimate relationship with God, then it is for sure false. And if it leads them to a true, deep, abiding relationship with our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ, then chances are it's, it's in, going the right direction. And what Paul sees is he's like, yeah, this is turning you away. And these guys are teaching these doctrines. And essentially, what the core of what's happening in the doctrines is that uh, we don't know if this is specifically the Judaizers, but the, the cult that uh, there was two main cults in, in that time in history, the Judaizers and the Gnostics. And the Judaizers were legalists and the Gnostics were spiritualists. The Gnostics believed everything spiritual was good, everything physical was bad. That's not what Jesus says. As a matter of fact, God created that which is physical and that which is spiritual. However, the Judaizers were the people who were still trying to take the gospel of Jesus, which is pure, 100% unadulterated grace, and they were trying to attach to that grace other activities and say, you're saved by grace and such and such. God likes you because of his grace. He probably likes you a little more if you do this and this as well. You know, and there's like a scaled sense of God's favor toward us that's based on our performance. And most of that for the Judaizers had to do with people who were kind of stuck in the old covenant. For a long time, they had been practicing the Jewish religion, and it was really hard for them to let go of what had been and to embrace what's new. And so they wanted to bring what had been into what's new. And one of the biggest reasons is, is because people got very accustomed to seeing themselves as elite because they were the people of God, the Jews. And once the, the, the floodgates opened up with God's grace, and now everyone could have a relationship with God, I think that there was a deep loss for people in the sense, this used to be my idea identity we were the people of God and they weren't and to let go of those unique characteristics that made them separate from others was hard to let go of and so these teachers would go around and they say yeah yeah Paul's good and he's teaching all about grace and everything but there's a few things that you really don't want to lose sight of that that the richness of the old testament the richness of of these this old law this old covenant you don't want it to all just fall away I mean that's thousands and thousands and thousands of years of history and of God's teaching for us. There is huge things to be gained in that. Don't think that God's okay with you just walking away from that and stepping into this new thing. So while it's good that you receive the grace of God, it's even better if you receive the grace of God but still practice such and such and such and such. And that 
of course, this is happening, this teaching is happening to people largely who are Gentiles, people who have never practiced those things before. So now they're receiving the quote-unquote grace of God, which means I'm loved by God, but all of a sudden I'm feeling like I have to do things that I never had to do before. And when you think of it as a, from the Jewish identity, they might be releasing things, and it might be real tough to let go of the things, but what they're actually doing is adding burdens on the people that they had never had before under the guise of grace. Under the guise of grace. And uh, that's a, that's a, a, a the, the teaching there is a legalistic teaching, is a, is a, a, a teaching that was uh, understood as a Judaizer teaching. Paul is coming with a baseball bat around this one. He is swinging fiercely. He is going to destroy any lie. And what we hear coming from Paul is so fierce that uh, in, in our text for today, you can, you can hear it here when he says, listen to this in verse 8. It says, uh, verse, we'll start in verse 7. Not that there is another one, another gospel that is, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. You know what this word accursed means? This is absolutely 100% the heaviest word in Scripture for curse. You can't find a more difficult one. This is it right here. Like, when you, like full condemnation, full excommunication, full destruction. This is like when those words that say someone devote them over. Like 100% wholeheartedly give them over to destruction. That is the word that the Apostle Paul uses to talk about those who are teaching this fake news, okay? And so he says, let them be accursed. Let them be accursed if they preach any other gospel. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He like repeats the same scripture twice, the same phrase. The only difference between the first scripture or the first verse and the second verse there, you hear the difference? In verse 8 it says, if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one, what? We preach to you. And then down in verse 9 it says, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received. So the only difference between these two statements is he says, remember what was preached to you and remember what you received. If anyone is preaching something different than what had initially been taught to you, or if someone's preaching something different than what you initially received, then you need to know that that person should be, and in some senses he's saying will be, accursed. You know how scary that is as a preacher? You know how scary that is? That this word right here has one single gospel in it. And if you get that gospel wrong, then you lead people down a path that doesn't lead them toward God and toward Christ. And those who teach the word of God and lead people away from God are doing something very different than what God wants because God wants all his kids to come home. 
And God is a God who doesn't do kindly when people teach false gospels that lead his children away from him instead of toward him. And so when it says those who preach a, a gospel other than the one that had been, had been preached and other than the one they received should be accursed. Anytime and we get into a pulpit, we open the word and we teach the gospel, there should be a heavy, heavy awareness of the weight of the responsibility of what it means to teach the gospel. Paul, in this moment, he is not concerned about the motivations of those teachers. Because, again, and we talk, touched a little bit about this last week, but Paul is not sitting there, well, you know, what the teacher's trying to do is this, or what he's actually looking for, or where his heart is, None of that is what Paul's talking about. He doesn't get into the heart of the teachers. He doesn't get into the desires or the motivations of the teachers. He gets into one thing. Is the gospel message staying pure and staying clear? Because when that message is clear, then those who hear it have the ability to enter into a deep, thriving relationship with God. But when the message itself is tweaked for whatever reason and out of whatever motivation, when the message is shifted... When it's tainted, the, the, the power of God unto salvation, we are told in Acts, is the gospel itself. So the good news is the very thing that has the power to bring me into a relationship with God. So whoever's doing the teaching or the preaching, their heart, their motivation, that's not the primary point of what Paul's trying to make. He's like, the words themselves matter. It has to be true. It has to be true gospel. It can't be fake news. And when our minds start hearing stuff and thinking stuff that isn't true, it leads us astray. And that has always been and always will be the primary tool that the enemy uses to lead us astray is to get us to think thoughts that aren't true thoughts, that aren't God's thoughts, and it ends up getting us to a place where we see the world differently, we see ourselves differently, and ultimately it's not just that we see God differently, it's that we stop seeing God at all. He becomes a theory to us, not a person who we're connected to. And that's what all false gospel works towards. Whether it's Gnostic gospel, Judaizer gospel, legalistic gospel, it doesn't, you know, all of it does the, has the same effect. It's to lead us away from that thriving relationship with God. Most people, when they're teaching a false gospel, again, the intention of those people is not to disrupt or distort truth. Oftentimes, I believe that what happens for false gospel is that people just want to be right. And that's what we talked about last week. People just want to be right. And when we're more interested in being right than we are in knowing God, then very quickly we lose perspective on what the truth is. When our hearts are with God and toward God, the Holy Spirit fills us, illuminates the Scripture, and keeps us locked in. When we love God with everything we've got and we are toward Him and we are broken and humble and saying, I don't know God, but I know I want you and I love you. Those who seek Him, will find him when they seek him with all their hearts. But when we start wanting other things and, and we get frustrated because there's this person teaching this and this person teaching this and I want to show them that I'm right and we start reading the Bible to figure out how we're right, man, do we get wrong really fast. The more we want to be right, the more we end up wrong because wanting to be right leads to self-righteousness. 
And the Bible has been used so often to preach self-righteousness as a propaganda for self-righteousness instead of a gateway to a living dynamic relationship with Jesus. And so Paul's like, he's throwing down and you don't hear him nuance here when it comes to, well, the, pe- the preachers who are preaching the false gospel, if their heart was in the wrong place, all he says is, those who preach to you a gospel other than the real one, or let them be accursed. He says it about himself. He says, look, I preached this gospel to you. If an angel shows up here today and tells you something different than what I said, are you going to believe that angel? Think about that for a second. If an angel showed up right here next to the cross, right now, showed up in all of his glory and said, hey guys, Tim got the gospel wrong. He's got it wrong. You know that whole thing that like, that's in James about you know, faith without works is dead? What that actually means is, is that God's grace is there. It's there for you, but it's kind of a leg up while you're trying to do good stuff. And Tim's got it wrong and he's pitching you the wrong gospel. What do you do in that moment? Do you listen to the angelic appearance? And what Paul is saying is, I don't care if an angel shows up and starts talking to you right now. The gospel is bigger than angels. The gospel is more real than spiritual experiences. And he says, if I myself start teaching you something else, stop listening to me. Because men and women who start by teaching the right thing sometimes end up teaching the wrong thing. It happens. It happens. And Paul's warning And he's saying the gospel is the gospel is the gospel is the gospel is the gospel. Don't ever get off track. All right. Wow, that was a long introduction. (laughs) Seriously, I didn't start my message. So that that was my message, it sounds like. So um, so I I do want to to get into a little bit more of what's going on here in the text. Last week, I told you last week that I could go, just go on and on and on, and the only thing that was going to stop the message was the clock. And uh, same thing today. But I want to pick up, actually, by, by stopping, uh, picking up some of the stuff that got left off last week in the first five verses that leads into these verses, okay? Um, you, you remember there was three objectives to this book in general. Paul had three, has three goals, and all of them were revealed in the first five verses, The main objective that he has, does anybody remember what the main objective is? To live free. Bam! Nice. So to live free. So there was, and then there was two other, anybody remember the two other ones? What's that? Grace and peace was the application at the end of it. So grace and peace is how to live free. Okay. Paul's author, the authorization of Paul's words. So he wants to, he wants to establish his apostolic authority because essentially what he wants to do is say, I'm telling you the good news. Everything else is fake news. If he's going to claim that, then he better claim on what authority he has the right to say that his words are stronger than every other's. Paul's not trying to get an ego trip and be like, hey, I'm the big cheese in the room. What he's saying is, all these other people are speaking lies to you. Let me tell you why you can trust me and the words that I'm speaking to you. And next week, 
we'll get into where Paul actually dives in to establishing that apostolic authority. Okay, and so that's what we get into next week. And that's where the next week is where he get, dives into the heaviness of the, the into the, the beginning to walk through these three points. The first five verses there were about the greeting, you know, and setting it all up. And then today, well, today is the shot across the bow. Okay, that's what it is. It's a total shot across the bow. And then he establishes these three things. The first is why he has... Uh, the authority to speak, his apostolic authority. The last thing is he wants to talk about what it means for them to live free. In the middle, there's one other thing. What is it? Anybody remember? Living in the gospel is the same as living free. So that was the third one. So what is the gospel? Defending the truth of the gospel. What is the gospel? So he says, I got the right to speak to you about the good news. Here is the good news. This is how the good news should have you live in. Okay? And that's essentially what's happening. And I want you to look at it in, ver- in, in, uh, verses, in verse 3. Okay? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Okay? So that is what is the gospel. Right? He gave himself on our behalf. This is the grace unmerited favor the gift that we didn't deserve is he gave himself for our sins why to deliver us from the present evil age that is actually not just what the gospel is that's what the gospel should do for us that's his main point what does it mean to deliver us to set us free if we're going to live free it's about us being delivered from this present evil age when i when you hear that what does that make you think delivered from this present evil age Give me something. Help me out on this one. What's, what's that? Okay, to separate. Vanquished. Wow, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Vanquished. Vanquished. I like that. And age is a really interesting thing. We think of age in terms of time frame, right? So a time, a time period. But time periods are marked by all sorts of different things. I mean, they can be marked by years, like a decade. They can be marked by leaders, like in the age of king so-and-so, you know. It can be marked in the scriptures by the age of the old covenant and the age of the new covenant. There's all these different ages. The present evil age that Paul talks about is an age where the prince of darkness spins the lies, the fake news, and that the world, the powers of this world, the principalities, the powers, the rulers, all of those things that kind of set in motion how people think, work, all that stuff is built upon a certain set of ideologies that are built on those perceptions. And what he's saying is, we do not have to live enslaved to those perceptions. That Jesus came to die for our sins so that it would vanquish the enemy, break us free from the ruler of this age, and would instead invite us into the kingdom of God to live above and beyond. This isn't saying that we escape 2017 and get past this earth and into eternity, although that is definitely one of the beautiful benefits in the long haul. But what he's saying is, is this age that we live in that has a way of messing with people's heads and getting them to think a certain way, Jesus came to rescue us from that. He came to rescue us from that, to set us free from that. 
Okay, so that's, that's both the gospel and what it is that the gospel does to set us free. Now listen, as you move forward from there, this is, the, the, you, you see him saying he rescues us from the present evil age and into, uh, according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. And there's a, there's a hint here in verse 5. And that hint is that he is leading us back to the glory of God. That everything comes from the glory of God and everything returns to the glory of God. And we'll see how that works out in just a second, okay? I'm talking fast, aren't I? Yeah, I feel like I got a lot of ground to cover. Here we go. Verse 6. This is the text today. (laughs) I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The pattern of Paul's letters goes like this. There's the welcome, there's the greeting, and there's the exchange of niceties, and there's the, the blessing and all of those things. And then what happens after that in all of Paul's letters is he begins to thank the church for all the things that they're doing. And he gives updates about so-and-so's doing this and so-and-so's doing that. That's what Paul does in his letters. Does he do that in this letter? No. He says, here's the greeting, here's the welcome, five verses, and then, boom, hits it. Now, there's two reasons for this. This might be Paul's very first letter. And he might have matured a little bit as an apostle and learned to, like, be thankful for him and all of that and kind of grown out. I don't, you know, there might have been, like, he softened it up a little bit. But I think that given the fact that this is all done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can receive the fact that the reason that he skips all of that stuff is because this matter is so urgent and so pressing that he doesn't have time to talk about anything else. That he's like, look, I'm going to tell you right off the bat what I'm trying to do. I love you. I'm an apostle. I want you to have grace and peace. I want you to know that Jesus is with you and he died for your sins and all things lead to his glory. But I cannot believe I cannot believe what's happening to you guys right now. I am in absolute shock over how much you have been led astray. Over how much you've been led astray. And that's what's happening. So he's astonished. Think about Paul. I mean, Paul's seen a lot. I mean, this guy's seen a lot. But the fact that Paul can honestly say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he is in shock, that he is astonished, that people can't, uh, that aren't holding on. Now, what are they not holding on to? What are people not holding on to here? What is it? I think somebody said Christ. Somebody said Christ. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Oh, maybe you have a different translation. If you do, you need to go get a new one. <laughs> Seriously, the reason I use the ESV is because it's pretty readable, um, but it's very good, accurate translation. Um, when it says you are so quickly turning from him, that is the article. That is what they are turning from. Paul is saying, I cannot believe that you are so quickly turning from him. The danger here is not that people are turning from the gospel. If Paul's big concern is that people are turning from the gospel, then what are they going to focus on? 
trying to get the right gospel. What does Paul want them to get? God. He wants them to get a relationship with the Lord. He want, they need to get the gospel right. But the focus isn't on having their doctrine right. Their focus is first on loving God. And if their doctrine, being as right as they think it is, isn't leading them toward God, then it's time to go back and look. And what's happening is is there's a tip-off. Something is going on here where the joy of the Lord must not be present for them anymore. They're starting to feel the burden. They're starting to feel the weight, you know. I'm staggering under the weight of this new enlightened gospel. It's taking my legs out from underneath of me. I'm stressed beyond belief. Remember what he said last year, last week? Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. There's this thing about the gospel where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And you will find rest for your Man, you know, soul is, the Bible talks about soul and spirit. The, the word has the ability to nuance between the soul and the spirit. The word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, able to penetrate and divide between the joint and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. The soul part of us is the deeper part that goes every day. There's the spirit that lives eternally. His spirit communicates with our spirit, lives eternally with God. It's regenerated in Christ. But the soul is that part that's just under, it's just under the emotion, mind, will. It kind of, it's our personality. It's a little deeper than that even. And that part right there, if you want that part, the part that gets anxiety and that gets stress, you want that part to be at rest. It is not found by having your doctrine right. You need your doctrine right. But it's not found by having your doctrine right. It's found by knowing Jesus and trusting Jesus. I've known a lot of people, a lot smarter than me, who have a lot of really good doctrine, who are like totally unhappy, wildly unhappy. As far as I'm going to go with that. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning, what are they turning to? A different gospel. See, the gospel is the gospel of Christ. This is the good news of Christ. This is Christ's words. These are Jesus speaking to you good news. These aren't Paul's words. These are Jesus' words. The gospel of Christ is Christ speaking his love to you. But there's other gospels. Religious systems, things we check off, all of that. You know, those are other gospels. Instead of hearing Christ speaking life into my heart, I'm depending on some other thing. And when I do, that turns me away from him. And that's what Paul's talking about. All right, now... Um, the accusation, I'm going to hit this first and then uh, we'll come back to the, the kind of grand finale of this thing. Verse 10, if you go all the way down to verse 10, you know, as he's saying, there's people who are preaching these other gospels and everything. And then he says in verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or the approval of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were, trying, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Why do you think Paul is saying that? 
Why do you think he's saying, hey, am I trying to please man or pleasing God? Why would he say that in this moment? Exactly. So he knows that there's going to be people who are in disagreement with that. And so he's anticipating either what they will say is his motivation or he's actually heard the rumors coming back about what they are saying. Ah, oh, Paul, man, he won't listen to the stuff about the, the, the Jewish old covenant because he's trying to make it easy on the Gentiles. And so he's just trying to please the Gentiles. And he's not even trying to convince men to do the right thing. He's trying to convince God to change his mind about how he sees the Gentiles. And so what they're doing is they're questioning his motivation. He knows that they're questioning his motivation. And so he addresses that and he says, this gospel is not here to make you happy. I'm not speaking this thing so that you guys, you know, get stroked on the back. I'm not doing this to make the Gentiles happy. I'm doing this because it's true. And because God wants me to. And he'll get into establishing that next week. Now, with all of that said, the big deal here today is that he wants them to understand what the gospel actually is. Now, when he confronts them and he says, I'm astonished by you, I just want us to hear, Paul has just recently planted this church. These guys are pretty new, you know, and he's got probably a tender relationship with them and maybe even a little bit of a sensitive one, like a fragile one, because he hasn't, hasn't been established that long. He's probably just got back from his first missionary journey and he just got done doing all that and he's hearing now that all this stuff's going on. When you're in a fragile relationship with someone and they're believing something or doing something that's inappropriate, what do you not want to do? What's that? Confront them. That's exactly what we don't want to do. When I say want to do, that's what we don't feel like doing, you know? But I just, I I think it's really important to recognize the fact that Paul is not building church and he's not building a kingdom based on trying to keep people warm and happy. That he understands that unless people are rooted in the Lord and connected to the Lord, there is no church. That's what the church is. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. And that when the joints and the ligaments bind us all together, it's to grow up into the head, which is Christ. And when we get disconnected with Christ, the head, or when we get off center of the cornerstone, then we don't have a church. And so it's imperative that when we see one another stepping away from our relationship with God, that like Paul, we take great courage to bring one another back. And sometimes that has to do with like, dude, man, you are living like dangerous right now. You're going to get yourself in trouble. But sometimes it's as simple as this. It's like you're adding more than you need to to this. It's a lot more simple than you're saying. You know, and that's what Paul's doing. And he's angry because they're working too hard. Honestly, he's angry because they're working too hard at it. And he's like, Simple. And we'll get into I mean, that, that, that's later in the book when all that stuff comes. But it's important to know that Paul's ability to take a fragile relationship and speak into it, say, I love you, do not get led astray. And he puts where the relationship will go in God's hands, you know? And he says, I got to love you, so I got to speak truth. What happens beyond that? And, you know, we all know that we have to be sensitive. We speak the truth in love 
be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But it's important to see how Paul just speaks that. Now, again, what he's trying to speak to them is about the gospel. In order to understand what the good news is, we also have to understand what the brokenness is. Now, I don't have time to do... I, I Seriously, I did not get halfway through my message today. So I, I'm just going to bring us bring this down because I didn't get it. This part was, was really where I was getting wanting to dive deeper, but it just happens, you know, and, and that's the way it is, and it's fine. When we're in a book study, the Lord takes us deeper and deeper into these things. But I want to name a few things for you to meditate on this week, okay? The gospel is about the restoring of God's image and his glory that was broken in us. He created us to reveal his image and his glory, and that image got distorted. The first purpose of the gospel is to restore what God started in the beginning. And before we even found out that God created us for that relationship with him, the first thing we hear in the scripture is, let us make man in our image. Yes. And so the triune God makes us in his image. We distorted the image. The point of salvation is not first to get us back into an eternal state in heaven. The first point is to restore us to the image. The second thing is that that image will never be restored until our relationship with God is restored. Because the way that we are restored into his image, 2 Corinthians 3 tells us, as we behold the face of his glory, we are transformed with ever-increasing likeness into his image. When we are restored to a relationship with God, as we're like totally in it with God, enthralled with God, seeing God, interacting with God, that's what transforms us. The thing that keeps us from being connected to God is our own guilt and shame. And DJ talked about this a couple weeks ago when he's talked about our conscience, the thing that locks our, our heart and our mind together, you know? And he said, God cleanses your conscience because when we have a bad conscience, we become extremely self-interested. And all we see is ourself and trying to improve ourself. And we stop looking at Christ and we start looking at ourselves. That's why we try to get good doctrine instead of trying to get Jesus. That's why our, our, our religion serves our doctrine instead of our doctrine serving our relationship with God. Because we, be, we become stuck in our shame and wanting to be right. It puts us in our relationships with one another. What the gospel does is it restores the relationships with one another to create a place where we can now, again, reveal the image of God through the way we relate to one another. As he has forgiven us, so we can forgive one another. Two other things for the gospel for you to meditate on. When we walked away from God, we separated ourselves from the source of all of our needs. And when we separate ourselves from the source of all of our needs, instantly we thought we were our own provider, so we spend our time taking care of ourselves. I, I met with a, a financial guy. Um, I, I was talking with a financial guy this, this week, and he had this interesting thought. Um, and he said, you know, uh, there's some changes that are potentially coming to tax laws. And when those changes take place, um, tax structure could really change, and it could change a lot of things. Um, one of the ancillary results of that is people might get a bigger deduction up front by category, but it also me might mean that a lot of the other deductions that people can take, like the charitable giving, won't become as important because taking this much or this much or this much won't matter when you already have this much deduction. And he said, that's going to make your job tricky. 
And I was like, why is that? And he's like, well, because when people give to the church and when people give charitably, he's like, there's a deduction involved in that. You take away the motivation for it, and then people might not give. And I was like, oh, he thinks that the motivation for giving is charitable deduction. Interesting. I have no accusation of that person because we live in this present age. We live in this present age. But Jesus came to die for our sins to deliver us from this present age so that we can live in a place where I'm not thinking of that. I'm thinking of him. And if he says that I'm to give, man, I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. And the last one is this. We cut ourselves off from the source of life when we walk away from him which puts us in a downward spiral toward death. And man, I already feel it. I hate to admit it. At 40, I can already feel that I am not as fast as I used to be. And when I'm running around with my boys and the puppy and whatever, I'm like, shoot, man, I'm losing a step. You know? And you start to feel it. But we don't, long before we feel it in our bodies, we feel it in our hearts. And we know that we got to get it when we can, or we got, you know, there's that core fear inside of us. That core fear inside of us that's instigated by the, by, the, by the fragile nature of our lives. The gospel, to every one of those things, to the glory of God, to the restoring of relationship with Him, to the restoring of relationship with each other, to the resources that we have, to the abundance of His provision, to the source of life eternal, What he does is he cuts off the supply line of the enemy to feed any propaganda or fake news into our lives if we will only believe the truth that he has set us free from the power of sin and of the grave and that darkness cannot speak to us than the one thing we receive by faith. It's a real, real simple thing is that he really likes you. He really wants to provide for you. He really thinks you're beautiful. He really wants to be with you. That he will provide for you. And not one ounce of it is ever contingent on anything that we do. Ever. 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 Grace is free. It will always be free. If you add anything to it, it stops being grace. There is not one thing that you can ever do that will change God's perspective on you. The only thing you can do is choose to believe it. That's what faith is. That's what faith is. And the end of it, here's the quote. Love this quote. Listen to this. C.S. Lewis. The whole, this whole Christianity, this whole of Christianity, this is the whole of Christianity. There is nothing else. It is so easy to get muddled about that. It's easy to think that the church has a lot of different objects. Education, building, missions, holding services. Such, just as it is easy to think that the state has a lot of different objects. Listen to this. Military, political, economic, whatnot. But in a way, things are much simpler than that. The state exists, exists simply to promote and to protect the ordinary happiness of human beings in this life. A husband and a wife chatting over a fire, a couple of friends having a game of darts at the pub, a man reading a book in his own room or digging in his own garden. That's what the state is here for. 
And unless they're helping to increase and prolong and protect such moments, all laws, parliaments, armies, courts, police, economics, etc., are a waste of time. In the same way, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the, belief, the Bible itself are a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. It is even doubtful, you know, whether the whole universe was created for any other purpose. God wants to be with you, and he wants to be with me. He gave us the gospel so that we could be. He's not far. He's right there. All we have to do is believe it. Anything that tells us he's not accessible is a false gospel. You're free. Enjoy it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you for for upholding justice. We thank you for fulfilling forgiveness. We thank you for making a way where there was no way. We thank you that while we are still sinners, you come and get us. Man, we thank you. Protect our hearts. They're so easily deceived and they so easily deceive. Protect our minds, God, because we are not the wise ones. God, we are those who can be easily manipulated. But God, you are the one who found us and you are the one who keeps us. And you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind and heart is steadfast because he trusts in the Lord. So God, give us faith to believe in what you've already done and to engage in what is available in you today. In the name of Jesus, amen.